my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you would, be turning to Psalm chapter 116. 116. We're getting up there in the numbers. So this... uh. This past few weeks, we've been covering a lot of different types of song, psalms, psalms about suffering, psalms about finding peace in the middle of the storm, and about wickedness, about the long pilgrimage ahead of us, and how we can continue to have faith. Um, but there, there, uh, there comes a time in life where we get to the end of that, those things. There's periods in our life that we come to a place where, of just rejoicing and, and thankfulness. And... Um, I wanted to cover a psalm that spoke about that, where we can learn how to respond to God when things come through. And it's sort of weird to say that it's like, okay, it's a rarity that God comes through. No, it's not a rarity, but it can feel that way, especially when we're in storms all the time. It can feel like it's, oh, God, when is this, this going to happen? When, when are you going to actually come and deliver me from whatever it might be? It could be a simple thing. It could be a really tough thing, whatever it might be. Um, and so I'm going to walk through Psalm 116 and just see how the psalmist deals now coming through the other side, God delivering them from what, what they have been through. Um, I can remember many times comforting my kids. They, they, they fall, they scrape their knee, or there's something going on with a friend, and they get into a fight, and they come to me. And uh, I just hold them, we talk a little bit. And then they feel better, and they jump up, and they run off. Like, you're welcome. I love you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, don't always feel that way, because most of the time you're just glad. You're just glad that they feel better, and they're off doing the, their thing. But we've all had people in our lives where you get done helping them and loving on them and caring for them, and like, okay, cool, bye, see you later. You're like, you're welcome, you know. And sometimes we do that to God. Sometimes we get through a storm and we're like, high five, God. All right, now I'm going to go back and I'll do this over here. And I think Psalm 116 has a really great way of showing us what we should do, how should we should respond to God's deliverance in our storms and our trials. Um, so let's, let's all stand together to read the Word of God. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me and the pangs of shield laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish and then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, you saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. 
I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord and I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of those, uh, death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds and I'll offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are our deliverer. I thank you that you have given us Psalm 116 to remind us what we have been delivered from. And I ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that we would look back at how you have delivered us, to rejoice, that we would have that story to say, I love you, Lord, with everything that we are. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, to give you a little history and context of this, this psalm is actually part of a few psalms together. It's called the Egyptian Hallel. It was verse, uh, Psalm 113 to 118. And Egyptian Hallel means praise Yahweh. Hallel specifically means praise Yahweh. Uh, these were praises that were sung in connection with Passover, Hebrew festivals, and they were to reflect on God's redemption of bringing Israel out of Egypt, the Egyptian halal. And some scholars actually believe that these psalms were sung by Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. Let that sink in. Jesus sang these songs on the night before he gave his life to deliver us. Hmm. He knew he was the one to sacrifice his life for the whole world, and he sang these songs. What a great God who loved us. Hmm. So what I want to do, I want to walk through the psalm, just a few verses at a time, and I want just to see how the psalmist responds to God, stories he tells, and, and, and just walk through it a little bit. So the first thing that we see here in the psalm, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist responds to God's mercy. The psalmist responds to God's mercy. I love you, Lord, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Now, this psalm starts out differently than most psalms. Uh, most stories, when you tell it, you don't start with the very end. You start with the beginning of the story, and you work your way through. But you have seen those movies where they'll, they'll give you the end portion of it, and you're like, well, that was a great five-minute movie. And then you're like, oh, they're going to go through, and they're going to explain how, everything, how you got there. And that's what I think this, the psalmist is doing here. He's going to the very end. He's explaining the joy. He's like, now sit and listen why I am this way. 
listen why I respond to God in this way. And he gives a little glimpse of it. He, he says, I am, I, I say I love the Lord. The first thing he says, because of this, because God heard their voice. God heard their voice. And we all want people to hear us. Imagine, have, you've had conversations before where you're talking to someone like, hmm, uh-huh, 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 yeah, uh-huh. And they're not really listening to you, like halfway he- hearing it. Uh, my girls, sometimes they'll be talking to me and they're in the other room or they're, you know, around the corner and they're like saying things and they expect me to hear them. Like, there's no doubt, like, daddy, you're going to hear me. And the third time they say something, my ears finally prick. And I'm like, oh, wait, they're talking to me. <laughs> and I had no clue. Uh, one of my girls, they'll, they'll actually say something three times because she's caught on that I don't always hear the first time. I want to. I want to hear the first time. Well, hold on. That's a lie. Sometimes I don't want, want to hear everything. But yeah, no, like, it, honestly, if I were supposed to respond correctly to my daughters, I want to hear the first time. And the psalmist here is saying, when I called to God, he heard me. He heard me. He, he actually hears our voices. In the midst of the noise of everything else, all our voices, he, he hears. He hears. And on top of that, the next thing he did, he heard and then he listened to the need. Listened to the need. I know we've all been to people where we'll talk with them and talk with them and talk with them. And they heard us. They know what's going on, but there's nothing they can do about it. Or there's nothing they will do about it. Or sometimes we talk to someone and they listen to us enough to sort of hear us, but they don't specifically know the need that we have. Like they'll try something and they got it wrong because they didn't truly listen fully. Here we have the psalmist saying, no, you heard me, you listened to the details. You listen to the details because it was important to you. And we, when we want something done and we know that someone has, else has the power to do it, we want to hear, get their ear so that they can do something about it. My wife and I, were, we were moving to Roanoke, Virginia. We were living in Lynchburg at the time. And we moved there because she was driving 45 minutes to get to work at First Baptist Church Roanoke. And I was working at Liberty University. I was like, hey, let's just move over there. I find a job and um, I'll finish my school and everything. And so we moved over there. And when we moved over, um, I had some general education classes that I needed to finish up, and they're all online. I was like, yes, I can do it. Well, when I went to go check out, they, they had a residential fee. And I was like, what is this? I'm like, another fee? I, and and it, was, it was pretty big. I was like, I can't afford this. This is, I don't know if, honey, I don't know if we can do this. She's like, you know what you should do? I'm like, what? Write an email. To Jerry Falwell. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I have his email. I'm like, what you do? And it wasn't like the at liberty.edu email, it was an Earthlink email. And I was like, how in the world did you get Jerry Falwell's email? <laughs> she works with a bunch of professors and somehow she got it in the midst of that. But so I was like, okay, well, let's write an email. So she she wrote the email. I I, I maybe looked at it, oh yeah, that's good, because she's amazing at writing emails. And we sent it off. And this is the reply I got back. Michael, we will discuss this and get back to you. Jerry, 
That was it. I was like, whoa, he got it. It went to his inbox and he clicked on it and he wrote something back. I'm like, this guy, he has so many people probably sending me emails. And he's probably like, where did this guy get my personal email from? I was like, whoo. He was okay, so it was good. So he had someone contact me and we worked it out and the residential fee was gone. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. We want the same thing with God. The one who created everything, we want him to listen to our need. And the third thing, we want him to act upon that. We want God to hear our cry and act. Now, remember the context of the psalm, the people of Israel, they're recalling how God brought them out of the land of, of Egypt. And there was a clear sense of injustice happening there. So this wasn't just like, oh, you know, I didn't get this job or I, 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 I wasn't able to buy this car. It wasn't simple things. These are people dying in Egypt, losing their life. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. Those are. But this was, I'm trying to show you the severity of this. People were living as slaves and they were crying out and they're saying, God, bring about justice. And sometimes we cry out to God and we finally get an answer. He answers us. He does what we've asked him to do, which is so encouraging because we know that we're in the will of God. We're doing what he's asked us to do because he fulfilled it. And then you have the flip side. You ask and you're like, okay, Michael, if I've asked and God did it, then I'm in the will. But I've asked many times and God hasn't done it. Am I going against God? Am I not asking what he wants me to ask? Maybe. So we have to compare what we ask to his word. But sometimes it's because we're not patient enough. We haven't waited long enough. And he's working in us. He's using the trials that we're going through to work in us and change us into something else. And that's a hard process for all of us to sit in a place where you're like, God, I know this isn't right. There's just something weird going on here. Why did you say come here? Why am I working with these people? Why is all this crazy injustice happening? Whatever it may be. And then, did you hear me? Did you hear me? He heard you. He's just waiting for you to be patient and just listen. And the the psalmist here is at a place where God did hear and he acted and delivered them out of Egypt. And because of that, the psalmist clears, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And this is encouragement for you. Those of you going through this storm, hmm, this is the end result of all the trials you're going through where God remains faithful. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. All right, let's continue on. Verses 3 and 4. The psalmist remembers their cry. The psalmist remembers their cry. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of shield laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. 
Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And here we, so we have strong imagery here. We have death encompassing a person. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on them. Distress and anguish. Now, this person, they could be at a place where they're going to die. This could be an anthem like, we were, we were dead. We, there was no hope for us. But this also could be a place where we ourselves, there's times like, oh, man, they're just killing me out there. This, and it's, it really is tough. There's th- things in life that seem overwhelming to us, and we use this imagery. They said they were in anguish, and, and they were distressed because they were worried about what are we going to do with our lives? Do we have a life? They were expressing all this. And in the midst of that, they prayed a simple prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Sometimes we don't have the words to say. Sometimes it's just a simple, God, deliver me. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do it. I know all the details. Just deliver me, God. Because there's no way you can possibly think through the details. Well, God, if, if, if you did this, no, that wouldn't work because that would be over there. And if you did this, oh, that would interrupt that over there. And just like, I don't know, God, you do it. That's where he came to. That's where the psalmist came to. God, take me out of this. We see here, him recounting this to us is showing how simple we, have to, we can be to God. We don't have to go in the details. We can if we want to. But sometimes we don't even have the strength to. And then God responded and brought them out. And, and God can bring us out of anything. God can. But we can't, after that, we're brought out, forget what we've been in. Forget that we cried out to him and he delivered us. Because we do that too sometimes. We cry out to God, he delivers us, and then we go on with life. And we, and we forget that. How awesome he delivered us from because we're like now we have what we want we're satisfied we need to understand that god is our hope and nothing else and that when we cry we cry to him only so we go on from there the psalmist tells us of god's response which is great i'm glad god responded to him gracious verse five gracious is the lord and righteous our god is merciful The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with us. So we see God responding in three ways to the cry. He was gracious in hearing. He doesn't have to hear us. He was gracious. He is righteous in judging. He delivered me. He did it the right He did the right thing in the right way, in the right time. And he was merciful in pardoning me. And the only reason why God did these things is because these are God's attributes and he never changes. God never changes. And and this is important to remember that 
God is not like man. He doesn't change from one day to the next. He remained faithful to the end. Who else would you call on? The one who's always going to be the same. Then he says that God is the way to those who are low and humble. Pastor Jimmy, a few weeks ago, he preached on, only a fool says in his heart that there is no God. And if God is offering salvation from our trial, the only way that we can accept the salvation is if we believe that he is real. Humble ourselves and believe that he is real. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God will reward those who look to him and have faith in him. Might not be the way you thought you would be rewarded, but he will. And the psalmist says, uh, says here, when he humbled himself and put his faith in God, that God acted. And then God saved him. In verse, verse 7, after he saved him, he said, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The panic is over. Deliverance has come. The psalmist is remembering that it's time to rest from the weight of the distress. From the weight of the distress. Now, this is a snare for some people where they've gone through a trial, they get through it, they're praising the Lord, but then they start thinking about the trial again. And then they start worrying about what if that comes back? They start protecting themselves and they start just mentally doing jumping jacks and somersaults and trying to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And all the time is God saying, hey, I delivered you. You need to rest now. Take some time and rest for I am with you. I'm the one who did. You didn't do a thing. You can't make that not happen again. I'm the one who delivered you. And some, some of us, we don't like to rest. We get done with something and we just go on to the next thing or start worrying about the past or take some time to rest. The next thing that happens is the psalmist is delivered, verses 8 through 11. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Here the psalmist writes that God has delivered him from three things. He's delivered him from death. Is the first thing, from death. Now, like as I said before, he could really be at a place of death. He could be living day to day, hoping that it wasn't his last. But death isn't just a reality to this person living in Egypt. Death is a reality to us. And, and not in the sense of like, I'm going to go out and get a car wreck right now. But death is reality because of sin. The wages of sin is death. We're all going to die. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no hope for you. There's no hope at all. And if you're worried and concerned that death is the end, there's more to it than that. And the only way that you can be delivered from that is to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what the psalmist did. Called on God, and God delivered him. He said another thing he delivered him from was tears. When we lose hope, there is an overwhelming feeling that happens where it can only be expressed in tears. I've been there before. There's times in my walk with the Lord that I've, I feel like I was like, I've cried to you so many times, and you haven't a- answered me. I'm losing hope, God, that you're going to do something. And I just sat and wept, and you didn't know what to do. And God doesn't want us there. God wants us to hope in him. And yes, we might have tears, but tears of, tears of sorrow, not of loss of hope. Tears that, in the end, they bring life because you are comforted. He de- he, this psalmist was delivered from these tears because hope was brought back to them. And then the last thing they were delivered from was stumbling. And it, it, I don't know specifically what he means by stumbling. Someone was doing something to him, or if he was stumbling because he was sinning. But when God comes in and corrects us and trains us and teaches us and restores us, he's going to put us on a path where he will direct us and guide us. Now, it won't be a clear path all the way down to the very end because life is not like that. It's a lamp that we have the word of God that we walk step by step and we can see, oh, there's a rock. I'm going over here and you walk step by step. Without that lamp, we are going to continually stumble and stumble and stumble. Because you can't see what is ahead of you unless you have a light. And he did this. He he hoped in God to bring him through these things and deliver him. And he says here uh, that, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Even when the hardest things were coming down on him, he's like, I still believe. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not going to let this go. Even though I'm afflicted like nothing else. He's like, I'm, I'm staying there. He also said, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. I mean, that's very verbose to say that every single person is going to be lying to you. But what I think he's saying is whenever someone came to me with something that wasn't from the word of God, something that wasn't true, I said, I can't listen to that. I got to take every thought captive and make it obedient to God from his perspective, but Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. And I think this is something that we can apply to ourselves. It is very important. Hebrews 3, 13 through 14 says, but exhort one another daily, every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. And if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need to encourage one another. We need to, when someone comes to us and and there's just so much stuff going on in their life, yes, we need to be honest with them, but we can encourage them. If, if, If there is a lie that's put in your head about who you are other than being in Christ, we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to Help them think differently. Not lie to them. Not say, oh yeah, you're saved when you're not. No. Turn to Jesus Christ. 
And then Satan comes back and says, oh, this is who you are. No, no, no. You are a son. You are a daughter of Christ. Sin will deceive you into thinking you're something that you're not. It'll play with your mind. Say, oh, I struggle with this, so I am this. Oh, I do this more often, so I am that. We need to encourage one another every single day so we, don't, we aren't deceived by that sin. Who do, you, who do you encourage daily? Daily. Not monthly, not weekly. Daily. Be thinking about that. Who do you daily encourage to not fall to sin's deceitfulness? And the reason why? Because our confidence is in God and his son, Jesus Christ. We stand on this truth and we remind each other of this truth. Next, the psalmist goes on to respond to God. After doing all, all God has done all these things, he's cried out, God's delivered him. This is his response to God. Verses 12 and 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The psalmist here responds in three ways. First of all, he realizes his inadequacies. He comes to a place where he knows that whatever he could do, it's not good enough. Jamie. I gave you $20 million. Would you say, oh, yeah, I'll pay you back in about a year from now? No, you couldn't. I couldn't. If someone came and gave you a billion dollars, you'd be like, yeah, 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 I'll, 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 just, I'll try to pay you back. It's impossible. Sometimes, look, God has given us salvation through Jesus Christ. Here he's delivered them from the land of Egypt. And all he's like, I'll give you a high five. He doesn't have anything to give that's going to match the value of what he's received. So he realizes his inadequacies. And then he's like, okay, he's like, what do I do? I'll give God's gift back to him. He accepts the salvation and he gives it back to him in praise. He calls it the cup of salvation he's holding up. It's the gift of salvation. He accepts it, even though he doesn't deserve it. And then he says, I will praise you. Praise you. How often do you, throughout your week, just praise God? In your car, walking down the road, in the shower sometimes. Just praise him. Just out of nowhere, just praise God for all the wonderful things he's done for you. That's all he had. But then he took it a step further. He's like, you know what? I do have more. I'm going to lay down my life to serve God. Sorry, the first one was realized inadequacy. The second one gives, gives God's gifts back to him. And the third one, he's like, you know what? I'm going to lay down my life to serve God. He says, I will pay my vows in front of everyone. Now, when someone makes a vow, um, it actually means that they're going to do a particular task uh, for God. Ecclesiastes 5 4 through 7 says this, just to give you a perspective of what God thinks about vows. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you in, not lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that 
It was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And when I was reading this, there's a couple of things that came to mind. But the one that really stuck out was Matthew 3. Again, you've heard uh, that it was said that those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, the vow. But I say to you, do not take the oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth. <clears throat> Let what you say simply be, you all know it, yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. And Ecclesiastes is pretty plain. Don't be a fool. So he's saying, uh, the psalmist is saying, I'm going to say all the things that I, all the things that I have vowed to God, I'm actually going to go do now. I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to show thankfulness. But he also said, I'm going to do it in the presence of, my, of the people. And it's like, okay, well, are you being prideful? You want people to see you? I mean, why are you doing this? Well, I think it's because he wants to encourage them to go and do their vows as well. Not, not for pride. And I think it's also good to, for each other, to, for us to see our fruits. Imagine if I said, hey, guys, I follow Jesus Christ now. But you, you didn't see a change in my life at all. I didn't read the word of God. I didn't love people. Actually, I hated people. I was not understanding the scripture by memorizing it. I wasn't spending any time with God in prayer. I was always worried. And you're like, did you say you followed Jesus? Yeah, I follow Jesus now. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of your words? You, it's not just words. It's, it's actions. And that's what the psalmist is saying. You know what? I don't have anything of great value to give except for myself. That's all I have. And, and that's hard to come by because we do see ourselves as, as great value. We see our time and our energy. It's like, okay, it's my value. It, it's valuable to me, so I'm going to use it how I want. Jesus says, I know it's valuable to you, but I can make it even more valuable if you give it to me. And he responded, in obedience. And then after that, verses 15 through 17, the psalmist remembers who he belongs to. Verse 15, he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints or his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds, and I'll offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Now, verse 15, I mean... Precious are you when you're dead. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But if you read that really quickly, like, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? Why is that precious? Well, I think it's precious because if they are faithful, their life, the things that they did, and the death that symbolizes all the work that they did is the precious part. When we align ourselves with God's precious plan for, for whatever he wants to do, our lives and the death that represents all the things that God has done through us is a precious thing. 
And then he says, Oh Lord, I am your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Now that's contradictory. When you say, I'm a servant. Well, you're in bondage, right? You've loosed my bonds. So he's moving from a place of bondage to bondage, but bondage to God isn't bondage. It's life and freedom. And we can compare the wonderful things that the world says, and hey, I want to do those things. It's like, you know what? I think I need to remind myself that that actually is bondage. And the real way to live is to be a servant to Jesus, because that is the freedom from bondage. That's the precious life. That's when he looks upon the death of his saints and says, that is precious in my sight. And then he says, I will offer up to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. This is the will of God. You're like, really? To give thanksgiving? Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Man, I found the will of God. Woo! Right? It's laid out simply right there. Now, I know there's more details, but imagine if we rejoice in everything. We prayed without ceasing, and we were thankful in all circumstances. What God could do. How precious our lives would be for him to use us. Right? It is a privilege to belong to God who sees us as precious to him and not someone who is just going to throw us away. That's Because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to use us, abuse us, and throw us away and say, you served my purpose. No, that's not God. That's not God. And there are times that we forget that. Like we got to go back to God. We belong to him. We are his sons and daughters, and he is something more precious then Satan, his ideas, his ideologies, all those things have to offer. And the last thing is, the psalmist serves God publicly. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Now, here the psalmist repeats himself, and... Maybe he's trying to put emphasis on this. Maybe he's trying to motivate himself to go do something. I mean, we've all been there. Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this now. And you get a little, a couple of days from that. And like, did I say that? Oh, yeah, I did say that. All right, I'm going to go do this now and, and actually go and do it. He, he's reminding us, again, don't let your words just be words. Let them be actions. And then he says, again, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. He's not only saying, I'm going to go do this. Everyone seeing me do this? You come and join me now. Let's do this together. Let's praise the Lord together. Now remember, these are songs that were sung when people were coming over for different celebrations just reminding themselves of all the wonderful things that God had delivered them from. Imagine hearing those voices singing these songs and the joy that comes from this. 
But those voices die out after the Passover. The good times die out. The thoughts of how God deliver us die out unless we continually remind ourselves of these things. It's very important to remember the cry, remember the distress, the deliverance. I don't like remember the bad things. You guys probably don't like remember bad things in life. But bad things in life and how God delivered you is a story for another person. Now, with all this, how do we respond? Well, the first thing is, I would encourage you to share your story of God's mercy. Share your story of God's mercy. And you might be like, I can't do that. I'm not a storyteller. I don't like to tell stories. I don't like to talk about bad things. It's not in my vocabulary. I don't like doing that. I just try to be positive and move on. Or I don't think I have the words to say it. I have a friend. Um, I mean, you guys know Billy Gardner. He's told me so many stories this past week. We're at camp together. And I'm sitting there like, man, I can't do that. You just told me this like 10 minute long story. I'll, I'll finish mine in like 30 seconds. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the best storyteller in the world. You just have to have a story of God's mercy in your life. And you need to share it. And because what your story can do is point people to wanting to do the same thing. You can say, I love you, Lord, because he saved you from your sins. But can someone else say that? No, because they've never heard that story. And if they'd heard it, and they like, whoa, he can do that for me too? And I can say, I love you, Lord? How wonderful is that? Tell the story of God's mercy in your life to other people. Don't forget that. Next thing is to let your love and thankfulness lead to obedience. A true sign of a thankful heart is a changed heart. God's love should move us to obey. It's when we get complacent and start thinking that we deserve God's mercy that we stop being thankful. Do not obey to look good or for the praise of people. Obey God because he has been faithful to you. And he knows that we won't be perfect. He knows we're going to fail. But get back up and keep going. Let the thankfulness and the love in your heart lead you to obedience. Maybe there's something that God's laid on your heart right now, and you're like, you know what, God, I haven't given this to you. I've just said I'm, I'm going to do it, but I really haven't walked for in that. Maybe that's God saying, hey, walk in obedience and do what I've asked you to do. Not because it's just going to be hard, but because it's going to be a blessing to you. Because it's precious to follow my will. Let your love and thankfulness lead you to obedience. And the last thing is, don't forget to celebrate what God has done. Don't forget to celebrate what God has done. We celebrate a lot of things. Do we celebrate the mercies of God and the little things and the big things? Do we let the mercy of God, thank you that you gave me breath today, and now 
I have another day to live for you. That's a mercy. He doesn't have to let us wake up in the morning. He doesn't have to put air in our lungs. But he does. Do we celebrate those small things? Because when we celebrate the small things, we'll also celebrate the big things. Do we see, also in the biggest thing, do we see his sacrifice on the cross a huge thing? And I, I can say that there's times in my life I haven't seen it's a huge thing because I grew up in church and I heard all, Jesus Christ died for your sins. According to his mercies, he saved us. Cool. Thank you. But is that, is, is that transforming in your life? Have you preached the gospel to yourself lately and realized how much God loves you and how much God sacrificed for you on the cross. Because that changes you. It really does. And when those things change you, we can celebrate. Maybe you're going through all this and you're like, you know what, Michael? I want to celebrate. But I don't have anything to celebrate about. I've seen God's mercy in other people's lives, but I actually haven't seen it in my life. Because I haven't accepted the mercy that he gives. I haven't cried out to him. I haven't said in my heart that he is God. I haven't humbled myself. Maybe that's you today. And God's tugging on your heart and say, God, deliver me. And, and you're like, no, I, I don't want to, but I know I need to. And he's asking you to take that step forward and come celebrate and say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. In the midst of my trial, he will deliver you. But you have to take that step forward and say, I trust that you will. So I want to encourage you all to celebrate. Celebrate what God has done. And tell other people about what he's done. And be thankful and obey what he's asked us to do. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.